Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the 2020 Mindset Leadership Conference. I'm your host, Riley Jensen, and today I'm super excited to have a two-time Pro Bowler, four-time Super Bowl winner, Hall of Fame, Polynesian Hall of Famer, and maybe my all-time favorite San Francisco 49er, Jesse Sapolu, joining us today. Jesse, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on, Coach. Oh man, it's 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 good to have you. Uh, I, can't, I can't believe you picked number sixteen over number sixty-one as your favorite forty. Well, you know, I'm from Utah. It might have been, <laughs> might have been number eight. It might have been number eight. Oh, okay, you, you know, got that. Yeah. Utah guys, not you know? a bad pick, man. Not a bad pick. <laughs> no, I, I. It's interesting because, um, you know, I remember watching you growing up. Obviously, you're right in the wheelhouse of the NFL and everything that I loved. And I met you, I believe, three years ago for the first time. And I'm not sure that any of my opinion has changed. I mean, I thought you were mentally tough. I thought you were a man's man. I thought you were everything that encompassed, like, the NFL player and everything that I looked up to. And then now that I've met you, I think, God, I don't think anything changed. I was thinking about this interview. I think um, you're solid. You're you're mentally strong. You have wisdom. There's There's that kind of that confidence that you see in an NFL player. What do you think, what do you think was a key component of your mindset all the way from Farrington High School to the University of Hawaii to the NFL? Did anything change or was it one solid thing mentally? Well, you know, a part of it is, is uh, growing up in, in a rough neighborhood in, in Hawaii. Uh, a town called Kalihi, and just uh, seeing an opportunity to go to school and hopefully uh, do, do well for your parents and, and help your family uh, was what motivated me. And, and obviously, uh, my high school coaches helped me a lot, they challenged me uh, to know the fact that things will get harder, you know, compared to today's athlete where. I've seen eighth graders called call beasts on Twitter, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a different, it's a different, uh, time. Uh, then they, I was, uh, constantly challenged that things will get harder because the field will shrink. You know, when you get to college, you're, you're looking at the top 10% of football players in the world that plays division one, division two, division three, um, and, and, and that was my mindset. I knew it was going to get difficult. I never took anything for granted. And then, of course, when you get to the NFL, you're looking at the top one half of 1%. So uh, I think that mindset gave me the edge to not expect anything handed to me before it even happened. So if I'm hearing you, you, you weren't entitled. You felt like everything that you got was going to be something that you earned because you were constantly pushing and growing and trying to get better. Is that a fair restatement? That, that's a fair assessment. And I'm very thankful because that's all I knew. You know, uh, if, if, you know, people, today people, we can tell the athletes that today, we, we're not sure if they're going to believe us because other people have the influence on the outside other than your high school coach and your parents uh, that told you the truth. Uh, and today's athlete, that challenge is a little bit more broad. As far as who they want to believe, people, there's more influence from the outside and it makes it tougher for them. So who who was pounding you with that message that everything will be earned? Was it your parents? Was it your high school coaches? Both? 
who were the people that were talking in your ear that were a good influence for you? It, it was my parents and, and my offensive line coach at Farrington High School. Uh, uh, my parents, because of the Samoan upbringing, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Tua, I, I was uh, interviewed by Sports Illustrated because Tua mentioned to them that if he didn't play well, uh, he would get the belt. <laughs> so they called me about that. And I told them that was the natural way of thinking for us. I mean, I, we didn't know any better. And, you know, maybe it was tough then, uh, but I'm very thankful to my parents for that upbringing. And then my high school uh, uh, offensive line coach played Division One AA. And, and he knew, I, I think looking back on it, he knew because I was six foot two, 245 pounds back then as a sophomore in the 80s was, was big size uh, that he couldn't afford to have people, uh, you know, lift me up and give me unrealistic expectations. So he challenged me that way. But I never really thought I was that special unless I, I, I keep working at it. Oh, that's awesome. Do you, um, look it, not, not the dictionary definition, but what do you think after all of your experience in the NFL and playing with really good players and mentally tough athletes, what's your definition of mental toughness? What is what? Uh, you know, and, and, and that's part of, of growing up too. You, 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 through life experiences, uh, you learn what you can handle and you learn what you're made of. Uh, for me, uh, it's, it's your ability to mentally focus and physically function when you're in the atmosphere of playing in a Superdome or playing at uh, uh, Green Bay or Chicago in uh, 31 below zero wind chill factor and you're from Hawaii. Uh, your ability to concentrate through all those obstacles and function not only physically, but mentally, and then accomplish that goal. Uh, you sit in the locker room, sometimes you're thinking, man, I didn't know I can handle that. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, th- th- those are the challenges that uh, I apply to a lot of what I do in life now. And, and, and it helps me knowing that I can handle it. Yeah. And I, one of my favorite quotes is, is from Mike Tyson. He says, Every, everybody's got a game plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> right? <laughs> That is true. You know, Riley, there are times when, uh, you know, we played the New Orleans Saints. They used to be in the NFC West. They had four all-pro linebackers, you know, with Samuels, Wicked Jackson, Swilling, and Vaughn Johnson. And then they had two Pro Bowl defensive linemen. And now we've got to drive the ball 75 yards in the last minute and a half to win the game. I can't even hear the snap count, and I'm the center. So, uh, and yet, as you know, offensive linemen, we've got to function as a five to protect the most expensive uh, player on the team, and that's Joe Montana and Steve Young, uh, to be able to focus because the, the noise is deafening, you know, and, 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 and you're just thinking, man, you know, we got to do what we got to do as if our life depends on it to protect these guys. And uh, to be able to pull it off is it, something that you learn about yourself. And it's something that I, I don't know if I can, how I can pass it on to these kids, but I try my best to try to, bring some examples of what it makes, what's necessary for it to get it done. What, what was the, I guess what is, uh, my question is this, what was the most difficult situation? You talked about some of them, like playing in minus 31 degrees and talking about, is it, was there ever a time you got hit? Was there ever a time where you were already injured going into a game where you really 
found something out about yourself and you're like, wow, I didn't, I did not think I could do that. And I did it. I mean, you said that a little bit earlier, but is there one specific one that sticks out? Uh, I was in a hospital. I had a staph infection in Minnesota. Uh, and we were getting ready to play a playoff game. And uh, that staph infection uh, uh, caused me, you know, it, 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 it was right behind my, my left knee. And they took me in and they cut a hole open behind my knee so they can put a gauze in there to make sure the infection doesn't, because it can kill you. And uh, <clears throat> I know my backup center was, was getting ready to start the playoff game on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then Thursday, I walked into that meeting room and I played on Sunday. So, uh, again, you know, this game, uh, Riley, whether you play in the NFL or you play high school or college, it teaches all of us uh, what we can do that we, we thought we couldn't do. You yeah. know? And we all have different experiences from that. But, you know, that's the uh, uh, extreme of that. And, you know, I'm the only player to have open heart surgery and came back. And uh, and I played a preseason game in in Denver, which was a fourth preseason. And game. that wasn't your number one. That wasn't your number one. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, you know, when you play this game for so long, and we love the game so much, uh, like the, the 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 strength of your mind, you know, you, you realize you can do anything, you know, and. And for me, I, I was so afraid that the 49ers would cut me because nobody's ever come back from open heart surgery that I was thinking, I, I got to go out there and prove it to them that I can still do it. Uh, but that staph infection, you know, was before a big game. And, and thank God there was not social media then. It was just the, the, the main uh, uh, national TV channels, CBS, NBC, ABC. I think ESPN was just starting. Uh, they were able to, to dig into it a little bit. Why Jesse Sapoto wasn't practicing on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And it wasn't until Saturday they found out, you know, that I was in the hospital. But uh, to be able to come back and play a playoff game now, and I'm not playing against any high school kids. I'm playing against the very best in the world. Uh, it's, it's, it's really up here because it became something that was normal, normal thinking for us. Back then. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. What do you – what do you think is, can you recognize mental toughness in the kids you're working with? I know you have the Mitt Academy right now, men in the trenches. You, you work with the Polynesian community and really with all kinds of football players around the United States right now. Can you, can you see a guy and go, ooh, this guy has a little something different mentally? Or, or is it something that you're constantly just working on growing with these guys? Uh, for the most part, I think I can, I can identify uh, now, again, there's kids. There was a kid that I coached named Michael Safel that started as a freshman at Cal Berkeley. You know, six foot two, you know, and I had him stand next to me and tiptoe, you know, while we took pictures and sent it to college. <laughs> so they did. My thinking was if they think Jesse Sapolo is six three, then this kid must be almost six three. Uh, but that kid was uh, not highly recruited, uh, not to the very end. Uh, but it's, it's all Pac-12 now. But that kid mentally, right off the bat, I knew how tough he was. You know, yeah. he, he, he competed at mid every Saturday, and the odds were against him, but never backed down from anybody. There's some other great kids, too, that I, I, I that came through mid that are playing in the Pac-12 that had a lot of talent, but uh, that, that one 
a specific young man uh, uh, stood out for me. Yeah. Um, has mindset and mental toughness been equally important to you after your NFL career? Uh, yeah, it, it, it is, you know, because uh, the one thing that we have in common is that we played the game and, and, and one thing you learn about sports, especially the game of football, is it teaches you right away how to overcome adversity. And, and because of that, uh, uh, and I played long enough to where I'm able to carry it on to my life after football. Uh, whether you played in the NFL or not, when, when all of a sudden the coaches tell you to stop, you're getting too old, you ain't playing anymore. You know, there's a fear of coming back to the real world because we did this thing, Riley, since we were 10 years old. And I retired at 38. So <laughs> that's 28 years of doing something that... Right, of doing something that we love as kids, and then all of a sudden now, now you feel like you've got to be a grown-up adult again, you know. And uh, uh, there's a fear there, but if you try, I tried my best to apply what I learned from from the game of football into my business life and, and what I do after football. I love it. Um, who was the most mentally tough person that you played against or played with? Well, there's a couple guys. That, you know, you don't win four Super Bowls playing with guys that are not mentally tough. But right. If I'm going to talk about a couple, um, uh, obviously Joe Montana is one of the – some of the injuries that that dude played with. And his ability with that frail-looking body that he has to maneuver the pocket and throw the ball under, you know, pressure. I mean, we played against – the Chicago Bears of 85, the Lawrence Taylors that were coming after him uh, to stay in that pocket and, and throw the ball accurately in those days uh, takes a lot of mental toughness. Now, we've driven the ball in the last two minutes to win the whole thing, you know, like we did in Miami. And, of course, he played against Dan Marino and John Elway and blew those guys out. But And then on defense, it's, it's, it's Ronnie Lott. You know, he, he was a guy that set the standard for football team and, and to be honest with you right there you know I'm, I'm in charge of our alumni with the 49ers there's some of our alumni back in the day that still don't feel good about some of the things Ronnie said to them in the huddle and this is 20 something years later right but that was that was the standard that was expected uh, you know you look at Tom Brady and, and, and Gronkowski going over to Tampa Bay you know, when you win that many times and that standard's so high, sometimes it just weighs on you, you know. And uh, uh, we had five Super Bowls in a 20-year span. And, uh, you know, when when it's all, you got to win the Super Bowl or bust, it can weigh on you as a human being. But back then, uh, that was the standard that was set for us. Yeah. What, what do you – talk to me a little bit about consistency and mental toughness. How – how do you build that consistency? Because to me, I think part of mental toughness is the person that is more consistent over a period of time, right? How, how do you build that? And, and, and were there guys that you played with? I mean, maybe Jerry Rice or, you know, those guys seem so consistent. I mean, Joe Montana, Steve, I mean, all these guys that you could name from the San Francisco 49ers. Talk to me a little bit about what you think about consistency and how you build that. Well, if, if you look at YouTube on some of my speeches at Men in the Trenches, I speak a lot about that. You know, I'd rather have a player as a teammate that's consistently good than a player that's occasionally great. Because when you're consistently good, 
there's great plays that are mixed in there, you know, and if that, but it makes your bad plays pretty good. And then when, like I said, when we had to drive the ball 90 something yards to win the Super Bowl, I can, I can, I can depend on you that you're going to be there and you can depend on me. So the consistency is setting a standard and then taking it one play at a time, one day at a time to try to get to that standard. You know, it's not about, uh, you know, there, there are times, <laughs> right? you know, and, and I was the most, not the oldest player on the team, but I had the most seniority on the Niners my last six, seven years because I played there for 15 years. So it was just the newspapers back then. And when I read the newspaper on Monday and Jerry Rice is complaining about not getting the ball enough because he's a double team, you know, uh, it wasn't a problem for me to walk over and sit down with him in, in front of his locker and remind him of what the standard was. And that's team first. And, uh, you know, and then, of course, try to play a little psychology as part of me being uh, there the longest. Uh, you know, they can't cover you double all the time because we had another off-pro receiver on the other side. And thank God it worked out. You know, I didn't know if it was going to work out. But then the next game, he would have eight catches for 170 yards. And then the, the ship starts sailing smoothly again. But, but that's consistency, too. You know, it's being able to uh, – I'm watching the last dance, and I can identify with a lot of things. You know, from the outside, right. we're looking at that, wow, everything's good. Well, not everything's good, you know, because you you, you got to have some kind of uh, intense scrutiny for you to get to your goal. But that's something that a lot of the outside people don't see. And, but I, I, can, I can identify with that. So that consistency you're talking about. It took a lot of work for us as a group because there are times when outside influence try to sneak in there. We gotta we gotta nip it on the bud and 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 make sure we move on. That's oh, a cool story. Um, it reminds me a little bit of the phrase that I use a lot as a as a mental performance coach in, as a sports psychology consultant is it's much more it's much more important that you learn how to be the best player for your team than the best player on your team. Because only one guy can be the best player on the team. But the guy who's the best player on the team, if he's not the best player for the team, he's a cancer. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and there's, and it's kind there's of so many great there. athletes now that you watch shows like First Take on ESPN. There's so many great athletes now that the media uh, kind of lifts because of their statistics. But I know for a fact that they'll never win the championship. I mean, you look at Tom Brady. He's always taking a pay cut. You know, he's always taking a pay cut because he knows that he needs to bring in players that the team that fits their narrative as far as uh, team guys, team guys that, you know, do their job day in and day out, minute in and minute out, not only in meeting rooms and practices, and that relays onto the football. Field. So this, that is one thing that's very common about dynasty teams. You know, uh, it's team first. You have superstars in there, but those yeah. superstars are, you know, you've you never seen Joe Montana uh, in a press conference with a hat and a fur coat. That's just, just not how <laughs> that's not how we did things back then. So, yeah, uh, consistency is a big part of winning championships. Well, that's awesome. So f flipping the script a little bit to talk a little bit more about you, what what is one failure or one disappointment that happened to you that was was a big influence on your life and how did you overcome it and that could be inside a sport or outside of sport 
Well, I, I talk about that a lot when I go to Hawaii. You know, my, 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 uh, <clears throat> my sophomore year, you know, I went to a private school on my freshman year. We won the championship on our freshman team. And then I had that heart murmur, you know, and I had a heart murmur. And, you know, back then we didn't have social media, so the doctors didn't know I was playing football. <laughs> so, but the school found out about it, you know, and took away my financial aid. So, you know, going from playing at a private school, I went my sophomore to another public school, not in the area where I grew up. And uh, my self-esteem was low. I mean, I was, I felt bad about myself and I had six Fs, you know, and I joke with the kids, the only reason I had six Fs because I had six classes, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but after the first semester, obviously my parents came to see the principal. And I pr promised my parents, if I can go back to the public school in the area that we live in, I promise I will turn things around. And I went there and I, and I started turning things around, you know, and, and those are the, th the, the thought, that's the thought process that I think of, you know, people ask me all the time, right? What do you think about in the locker room before you go out to play a Super Bowl game? Those are the things that I think about. Uh, the success, you know, uh, I mean, how close was I to becoming a disastrous young man, you know? Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the, the ability to, drive the ball down, you know, uh, 90 yards, you know, that's on the field to win the Super Bowl and focus uh, under pressure situations. Uh, just getting your mind focused on, on, on getting that done. In fact, I played against a defensive lineman from Cincinnati during that drive that I could never beat in college, a guy named Jason Buck. And, uh, and uh, you know, it was good to play against my whack uh, opponent uh, during a, a big moment of a Super Bowl, but but those are the kind of experiences uh, that, that I think about that could have easily, especially my life in high school, I could have, if, if, if there was nobody to grab me by the hand and pull me back in the right direction, I wouldn't be sitting here with force of worry. Right? <laughs> I don't know why I'd be, you know. Right. No, I, I think that's interesting. When they, one, of, one of the things that they talk about in, in sports psychology as well is, is called self-efficacy theory, right? And one of the three parts of that is what they call relatedness or social support. And I just call it having a great team around you, right? Like, and not, not necessarily just with the 49ers, right? I mean, you guys had Ronnie Lott and Joe Montana and, man, the list goes on and on. Roger Craig and, you know, Waters and there's so many good players. But and, and, I, and I bring this up all the time um, in individual sports, like with Tiger Woods, when he won the Masters again last year and he started pumping his fist and he's wearing his red shirt, he didn't say, I did it, I did it. He said, we did it, we did it. And I think about you guys who play on the NFL level and the highest level of the highest games, and I'm positive that your wife and your parents and your good friends and even your children at some point were that great support around you to pick you up when you were struggling and, and to keep you going in the right direction. And I, and now I see that with you, you know, at the, at the Polynesian bowl and in, in some of the, some of the roles that you play where you're being that support to Tua Tagovailoa and to Marcus Mariota and, and to all these players, I see you being that team, right? Being that support that says, hey, you can still do this. There's going to be adversity, but here's what I did when I went through adversity. So I think that's, I think that's an awesome story. I had no idea 
that you had the heart murmur when you were a sophomore in high school. Yeah. 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 It's a good thing because if, if, if that, if those reports came out when I, when there was social media, when I was young, I, you know, I, I, I could never play. I, my, my career would never get off the ground, but, uh, thank God. Yeah. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Um, if a group of your peers, right? So maybe the guys you played with with the 49ers or at Hawaii or even Farrington High School, they, if they were to fill in this blank and they said, Jesse will be successful in life because he blank, what would they say? Because I have the tendency to become an op- optimist. You know, I'm very optimistic in certain situations, even when it looks negative. Uh, I mean, I, I, I uh, and that's something that when I read some of the articles on some of the kids that I trained ever since eighth grade that have gotten offers, and like that kid that I spoke about at Cal, he got it late, even though I knew he deserved it a lot earlier. Um, I've, I've always tell the kids to have faith. All you can do what you can control, and that's do the work that you need to do. Everything else will fall into place, and, and thank God it, it, it usually does. Uh, but that's something that I, I know a lot of parents have mentioned more than once that coach Sapolo was always uh, telling us to be patient and, and he's always optimistic. And I think uh, that's a trait of mine that matches the players of today. You know, the other side of me, that's really hard, hard, you know, and uh, I, it, it comes out every now and then, uh, but I, I got to be careful because I'm not sure how mentally tough a lot of the kids today are compared to when we were growing up. Uh, and at the end of the day, uh, you got to build young men, but at the same time, you got to be honest with them. So uh, that's, sure. I think that's the strength that I have is, is being able to feel certain situations and, and try to say the right thing at the right time. And what I, from my experience is playing uh, both doing in adverse situations and positive situations. You think you were born with that, or you think you developed that? You know, my dad was a minister, <laughs> so, okay. yeah. so uh, uh, but my dad only saw me play, play one game in my 28 years of football, you know, because yeah. we played on Sundays, and, and to him, the church was more important. His, his feeling was uh, his work is why I'm blessed, which I truly believe that also. So it, it, but what it did is it, it, it made me accept it, and it tempered my expectations where I knew and I felt good about it that even if my dad wasn't there physically, he was there spiritually. So I think having that upbringing and, and the ability to not be angry that my dad wasn't there uh, translates over to me always being or try to be optimistic uh, in tough situations with the kids that I train now. Um. Yeah, there's there's so many so many ways to go. Uh, are there any coaches that you had that that stick out to you on developing mindset and mental toughness? I mean, you had so many good coaches, but uh, is there one that sticks out that helped you develop mental toughness or that talked about it a lot when you were playing? Well, uh, there's two guys. One is my offensive line coach in high school that <laughs> never been, that made sure. We, what, was his, what was his name? We didn't mention it earlier. We got to have his, we gotta, uh, his, his name is uh, Coach Miyashiro, Gordon Miyashiro. In fact, he lives in uh, in Utah now. So because oh, cool. he, he 
he was my guest at one of the 49er games a couple of years ago. And was telling my sons how he was treating me back then. <laughs> but, but, but he was tough on me. And yeah. that lays an influence on you. My, the next one that really challenged me uh, is Coach Dick Tomey that passed. And, uh, you know, Coach Tomey, uh, and, and when, I, when I speak somewhere, I use one of his sayings a lot. And that's, you know, it's not the will to win that's important. It's your will to prepare yourself to win that separates champions from the rest. And, uh, and he was all about that. It was all about you preparing, making sure that there was no stone left unturned. You know, you got to be tough. You know, if you're not tough, you couldn't play for those things. And I mentioned that at, at his funeral. And, uh, you know, of course, Bill Walsh had a high, high standard. But by that time, I, I kind of understood uh, what it was going to take for me to, to earn a living, uh, to take care of my parents and my family. But uh, he was more of an innovator. But as far as toughness, yeah, those two coaches were one of the biggest defensive in my life. Oh, that's awesome. Well, man, that's good. Um, what would you say to the people that are struggling right now? We've got a lot of change going on, and there's a lot of unknowns out there. And maybe what are some of the things that we've – that you've learned over the years or that we've talked about today that you would give advice to others – about how to handle this situation of the unknown and all this change that's going on with COVID-19? Well, you know, the tough thing about this particular situation, Riley, is that you can be tough mentally, but you're not in control of the situation. And, and, and me saying that is, you know, you can conquer yourself as far as your fear and use the, the, the sports analogy on overcoming that. But the problem with this situation is it could affect your loved ones and there's nothing we can do. So that's the, the challenge that uh, I want to say to the athletes that we work with um, to be disciplined, to be team oriented. Anytime you want to make a decision know that your grandmother or your grandfather is always also involved in that decision making. Uh, it, it makes it tough for us because there's a toughness in there, but there's also an awareness that pulls you back a little bit. And that's where the focus comes in. Uh, so it's, it's discipline, focus, and be mentally tough that we can overcome this thing. I love it. That's, that's such good stuff. Um, I want to I, I want to just ask you a, a a question a little bit about your culture. My my junior college coach was a guy by the name of Keith Uparessa. I, I think you know, who he is. Yeah. and and he really became a father figure to me. Um, there was there was so many lessons that I learned from him. And when when he talks about his culture, with the reverence that he talks about his culture, and when he talks about, um, you know. He used to, I, I remember lessons like he would say to us, like, don't get up there and pound your chest for doing what we were supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to catch the ball on third down and get a first down, or you're supposed to complete that pass. And I just, he, he, he was so influential in my life. Is there something about, and, and, and probably the most mentally tough coach that I've ever had. He was cool, calm, and collected. And then every once in a while, those eyes got red, and we all knew, like, hey, man, don't mess with Coach Uparessa right now. Is there something about your culture 
about the Polynesian culture that that grows that mental toughness or that that that, that poise under pressure that maybe I idolize so much in Coach Ubereso? Well, I think the one thing that we have in common that's a root of our culture is humility. You know, uh, everything kind of breeds from that. You know, toughness breeds from our ability to be humble, you know, walk quietly, but carry a big stick, so to speak. Uh, I think once you're humble, then, then that toughness can come from within that. You know, uh, I've, I've, I've heard people that don't know me Right, that had heard of me in the time that I was playing. I don't know if there were 49er fans or not. Uh, would say to people, you know, well, you know, just Polo is, is a good guy, but when he threw his five fingers up to to uh, brag about his five rings, you know, that's he's kind of a show off. You know? But that's you know, in a mo in a, we 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 just won the Super Bowl and I threw my five my hand up because we were the first team to win five. I was I was overly excited. And but that's that's how important that is to our culture. Someone was able to pick it up and use it to say I was a little show offy, you know. Uh, now that's how important it is, you know. Uh, yeah, uh, because it it represents not only you, but we're so family oriented. It represents your family. You know, there's a saying that your last name is what you play for. You know, uh, I, I saw a commercial that uh, Tua's dad was saying, you know, your last name can make you or it can break you, you know. But that's how important it is in our Solomon culture. And the thing that scares me the most, uh, Coach, is the day that we might lose it, you know. And thank God we haven't, you know. And uh, even the kid that grew up in Iowa that came to – to his Polynesian, some kind of island for the first time four years ago named A.J. Epinesa. He's humble. <laughs> it makes you wonder, but it, it, because he gets it from home, from his dad. And yeah. uh, it, it, it gives me an idea of how strong the roots of our culture is within the family setting. Because this kid grew up in Iowa. He had every excuse to, to show me that it's okay for him to buck our culture and just say, Forget it. I never grew up in Samoa. I don't know what it's like. But for him to be humble, uh, it g gave me hope that uh, we can prolong this thing as long as we can. Yeah. So there's a, there's a colleague of mine, um, another, another Polynesian guy by the name of Justin Sua. I don't know if you know who he is, but he's the sport psychology consultant for the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, he's oh, wow. from Southern California. And one of the things that he talks about a lot as far as the mental game goes is that humility is the key to growth. And he says, if you think about humility, it's like being a soft and fertile soil. You can't grow crops. You can't grow anything on like a crusty and a hard right. and, a, and, and a soil, but when it's soft and when it's pliable and when it's all those things, then you can grow beautiful trees and you can grow all those things. And I, I think um, that's a, that reminds me a little bit of what he was saying is that being humble allows you to grow because you become a soft and pliable soil that you can, that you can work with. Right. And when you're talking about AJ Epinesa, I love watching him play and I love to hear that he's a, that he's a humble young man, but 
it should have been obvious to me because the reason why he's good is because he's humble enough to be coachable, right? He's humble enough to respect the name on the back of his jersey. He's humble enough to respect his forefathers who came from Samoa, right? And so that's just a huge um, – I just was thinking about that as you were talking it. And I, I don't think I've really thought about that as far as your culture until you brought it out. Like there's so many humble Polynesians that I've met and it's fun to see how they succeed because of that humility. Right. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I mean, it's, it's not a, a bright situation to bring up, but I just saw a, a video of a kid that I, a cop was trying to arrest, right? And and, uh, and he threw a couple like soft punches to soften the kid up so he he can be, uh, you know, refrained and and and, and secured. Now, <clears throat> a lot of people that were non-Polynesians wrote in and said the cop did this and the cop did that. Or the next day, the kid came out and apologized on TV to the police officer. <laughs> and then when I saw his name, when I saw his name run through the, the screen, it was a someone last name. You know, right? I knew exactly where that kid got uh, got that from. You know, he got it at home. You know, the one thing that we used to do in school back in Samoa is if you get spanked by the teacher, you hope there's no marks because you get home and they find out you got spanked and you get beat up worse by, by your parents than, than the teacher. So... <laughs> Uh, a lot of those things kind of go, uh, you know, are rooted into our culture and why we are the way we are. And like I said, you know, we're humans. You know, I don't think everybody's going to be perfect, but we, we try to hang on to that dear side of our culture the best we can. So many, so, so many cool lessons. Uh, my, my brother's married to a Polynesian gal. And so my nieces, Malia, Miley, Keolani, and Kiana, uh, and then their son, Kainoa um, are really, really special to me. And I know that, you know, just like the movie Moana comes out and that was just, that was huge for them to see, you know, the Polynesian culture grow and become bigger and, and more influential um, all over the world. And I think the NFL, and I think, I think you're one of the forefathers of that in the NFL, right? <laughs> you were, you know, there, there was you and there were, there was um and, and you'll have to forgive me. I forgot his name, but there was a defensive end for the Minnesota Vikings when you were playing. Uh, Al Yeah. 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 Who, mm -hmm. who were kind of the first, right? Like you were, you were some of the first to like really make a splash in the NFL and really, and really start to be household names. And now, you know, the NFL just has tons of players that are Paul. This is the biggest class we've had this year uh, as far as the draft numbers and then uh, the amount of free agents. I think we got like close to 40 guys. Unheard of. To me. You know, Riley, when I played, we had six guys in the NFL. And you look at the roster, and even if you play that team a month down the line, you already keep it in your mind, I'm going to see my brother, you know. And yeah, exactly, you're, you're excited to see no seat to two. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> now, you know, last year, the 49ers went to the Super Bowl with four, four Polynesians, four Samoan guys, you know. Yeah. We lost two of them. You know, one is making $21 million a year, which I'm happy about it, uh, yeah. DeForest Buckner, but that's just the way the business is. But we had four guys last year. Unheard of. So cool. Um, who, was, who was the best player that you, that you played against? And was it because he was mentally tough, physically tough? What was it? Who was the best player you played against? 
there were a lot of tough guys. But I think that the, the toughest guy is is the guy that the late uh, Reggie White. Now, <clears throat> Reggie White played under a defensive coordinator named Buddy Ryan, and Buddy Ryan was the uh, architect of that Bears defense. So when he went to Philadelphia, and on third and long, second and long, you know Reggie White usually plays on the defensive inside. But when they played that forty-six Bear defense, they covered the two guards. And they walk Reggie White into the middle, right on the center, right on the center. You know, and, and we'd be watching that film during the week of four games that he played before. And, you know, it's just to see how he treated some of the centers. And and uh, my offensive line coach would say, well, you know, you're, you're from the islands. You know, we can afford to leave you on the island one-on-one with Reggie White. But uh, uh, a lot of great players, but if anybody, if, if anyone sticks out, it's him, and and he was called a minister of defense. So mentally, he was a strong, his you know, religious guy that really strong physically, and and it, and it's hard to play mind games with him because he's a solid guy. But uh, that's why he was to me the overall. Now I played against another guy that we had some battles in in big games named Leon Lett, and and he was six seven six eight, you know. And 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 one thing I, I would say to myself is, well, why why are we Polynesians six five six six? But uh, yeah, those two guys were two of the toughest guys I played against. Well, I, I know that a, a long time ago and a lot of way to go, I played quarterback. But one of the things that I always say, I think, I think one of the best skills is a man who weighs about three hundred pounds playing against another man who's three hundred pounds, and by sheer will. And by sheer mental strength, figures out how to move another man against his yeah, will, his will. Yes. is an unbelievable talent. And obviously, you were a pro bowler and a Super Bowl winner. I appreciate you sharing some of your insights on mindset and, and mental toughness and helping people out during this time of COVID-19. It's been a great learning experience for me. And hopefully, I can take a little bit of humility from this and, and learn from the Polynesian culture to be a little bit more humble and and to be a little bit more consistent based on this conversation so well thanks for thanks for everything that you guys have done uh that have done with uh with mount wesley and uh and of course how you coach your kids and uh thanks for reaching out man it's been boring staying in uh i travel every week but you know uh i just hope that everybody stays safe and uh and that our country can get back to what we do best I agree. I agree. Let's get out of this mess. Let's get back to work, right? Yeah. Let's get out, get out to moving those those guys in the trenches. <laughs> See, oh. the funny thing about what we do, uh, Coach, is it's impossible for us to stay six feet apart. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's true. That's true. Well, thanks for reaching out, my brother. Thank you, my man, and uh, continued luck and continued, uh, continued success. We appreciate Thank all you me. do. Same to you. Likewise. We'll talk to you soon. Okay.